Hi, this is Natalie Hoffman of FlyingFreeNow.com, and you're listening to the Flying Free Podcast, a support resource for women of faith looking for hope and healing from hidden emotional and spiritual abuse. Welcome to episode 179 of the Flying Free Podcast. Today we have with us Amy Bird. She is the author of several books, and we're going to be talking about and referring to two of them in this episode, um, Recovering from Biblical Manhood and Womanhood, which I think is such a genius title. And we're going to talk about why for anyone who doesn't know why I find that to be genius. (laughs) And then her newest book, which just came out in March, I think. Was it in Mm -hmm. March? Okay. And it's called The Sexual Reformation. I think that's kind of a play off the idea of the sexual revolution. Mm-hmm. Am I right? <laughs> You're really good at writing titles. Um, anyway, <laughs> welcome, Amy. Thank you. Those weren't first choice titles, but you know, after talking marketing and all those things. That's oh, what we that's funny. Oh, I love them. I love those titles. <laughs> Thank you. Okay. So I thought that I would start by just connecting my listeners to you um, through my own connection to you, which you might not even be aware of, but I first found out about you by listening to the Mortification of Spin podcast back before you got the boot from them, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> which I would love for you to tell us about in just a bit here. Okay. But I remember um, you and some other women, I was writing, I was following uh, Rachel Miller and Valerie Hobbs yeah. and their writings. Mm-hmm. And they started writing about this thing called the eternal subordination of the sun, which yes. sounds really lofty and theological. And, um, (laughs) and so those of you who are listening, you might be tempted to just space out right here, but this is super relevant to abuse survivors and to Mm -hmm. everything that we're seeing going on in the church right now. And here's why Christian women who are marinating in these kinds of religious spaces that believe that women are supposed to be subordinate to men are far more likely to find themselves in abusive marriages than women who go to churches that are not misogynistic and that value women. Okay. And not when I say value women, I don't mean just in word because I feel like misogynistic churches definitely pay all the lip service Mm -hmm. to valuing women. They use all these words and, and it's really gaslighting. It's making you think that, Oh, they really value women. They really care about us. But Mm -hmm when they hold to these power over structures of hierarchy, as far as men powering over women, Mm -hmm. and then they slap some Bible verses on that ugly puppy. (laughs) That is not what it means to value women. And that is where this idea of the eternal subordination of the sun comes into play. So can you tell listeners why this idea is kind of the new pet doctrine for men who wish to keep women Mm. subordinate to them? Yes. And I'm so glad you mentioned Rachel Miller and Valerie Hobbs. I mean, I think that, you know, Rachel was really writing about it um, first and um, and she wasn't getting much attention. I think she was getting blown off, you know, for it. But, um, you know, Rachel, uh, homeschooling mom, um, she's now an author. She um, has been running a blog for a pretty long time and she's in a very conservative complementarian reformed denomination. Mm. Um, but so she was very concerned at what she was finding because this teaching, which does sound like really theological and kind of like, why do we really need to study 
you know, the deep inner workings of the Trinity. Um, is that really important for our lives? Um, and can we have some different views about that? And um, what she was finding was that this teaching, which wasn't in line with historical teaching, uh, what we've confessed since like the, the Nicene Creed as a church about who God is, um, this teaching that in his very being, the son is subordinate to the father's authority. And in all of his roles, he will be subordinate to the father's authority. Um, now, I'm not talking about, uh, obviously, there are scripture references that talk about Jesus um, submitting to the father's will. But that was as our representative, as a human, as, as a mediator between us and God. That's not in his essence, because he shares the same will as the father. Right. So we don't want to imply even that there are more than one will, and you know, within the Godhead. Right. But this is what was being implied in this teaching. But the crazy part is, and this is um, why it's so important for all of us to look into more, is that this teaching was being used to then say, therefore, even though men and women are equal, just like Jesus, or the son and the father are equal, um, we have functional roles and they, they connect those roles to our very being. Like it's like who we are and in our roles, which they make this permanent thing. Um, women are subordinate to men. Like that's how we're made. Mm -hmm. And so this bad teaching about the Trinity is now being used to teach bad teaching about men and women. So there's so many wrong things that just happened there. Right. Yes. But Rachel starts uncovering it. I mean, it's in like some of, you know, the best-selling systematic theology that's out there, Wayne Grudem's systematic theology, who's a major leader of this teaching, um, the council for biblical manhood and womanhood teaching it like crazy on their website at their conferences, and then, uh, and many, many books that their authors are pumping out and um, big names, big trusted names that people love. It's in their book. That teaching is in their book, Recovering Biblical Manhood and Womanhood. So it's very connected to our, you know, quote unquote, proper understanding of men and women is this understanding of the Trinity. Yep. So, um, it, you know, this is troubling me. Um, I'm noticing it in women's resources, children's resources. Wow. So it's in our women's ministry, our children's ministries. It's in the study Bibles, you know, so um, it, talk about marinating, you know, yeah. it's everywhere. So I started uh, talking with some men about this problem because it doesn't seem like, you know, people um, in the CBE, Council for Biblical Equality, they were writing about this, but they were being dismissed. Oh, they're just liberals, you know, don't listen to them. Yeah. Um, so I talked to a pastor slash kind of scholar academic and was sharing, you know, some of these resources with him, including a new book that the president then of the Council for Biblical Manhood and Womanhood was releasing and um, just saturated with this bad teaching. And he was very concerned, you know, as a pastor. So I talked him into writing a guest post for my blog, which was at the time over at the Mortification of Spin. And um, wow, I got a, a, a notable man to write about it. And it was just like the whole ceiling came down. There were tons of responses. I mean, you can Google Trinity debate and see how far yeah. this has gone. It was in 2016 in the summer. But conferences, um, you know, happened. Books were written. Um, 
And, you know, the patristic scholars, you know, people who have studied um, the church fathers and these creeds came forward saying, yeah, this is not orthodox teaching. This is not in line with our Christian creeds. Um, so there was some shuffling around, you know, the president stepped down and another one was put in and, and uh, that's Denny Burke. He's the new president of the Council for Biblical Manhood and Womanhood. And, and he said, oh, nothing to see here. Um, we, we have a wide umbrella about what we teach, you know, people can say about this issue of the Trinity, as long as we all align to the great Danvers statement about basically the same thing, keeping women supporting it. Yes, men. yes. <laughs> that's the most important thing. Um, so that's it. That's just it. That's the most important thing. Right. This Not is all Trinity. just, <laughs> exactly. It's all just, I really see it as just a propaganda tactic to infiltrate everyone's brains with this idea, which sets them up to just kind of buying into this idea that of course women need to be subordinate to men. Yes. And so it's just so saturated um, in, so, in all of their resources. And, and I think a, a one really hard part of it, and this is where you do have to start like getting a little more te technical because we use vocabulary and we think we're, we're using these words to mean what we think they mean, but they can use the same exact word and it means something else. And so even something like the word role, that's not a bad word. Um, we do ha you know, have different roles in life, but um, they use it for fixed power structures. Yes. That's not the definition of a role. You know, a role, the word comes from the theater. It means to play a part. Um, so it, it's, it's not a fixed structure in, in the essence of who you are permanently. Right. right. Uh, so, you know, things like that, you have to do some work and, and really say, oh, what do they mean when they say this? And, and you see exactly how they define it. And then you're like, oh, and I think that's how we can start marinating in it without realizing it. Yeah. Yeah. And then it flavors everything else. Yes. Yeah. So all, all of this drama, 2016, did you say? Yeah. 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 So that was when at that time I was wrapping up a 25 year long marriage and getting, <laughs> yeah. and getting excommunicated from my church, which happened well, to be John Piper's church. Yeah. <laughs> so I was kind of embroiled and occupied with all of that drama. And I right. kind of lost track of what happened then mm -hmm. with the whole subordination of the sun thing. But yeah. I did hear that you got kicked off the podcast <laughs> that you were, can you tell us why that happened? What happened there? Yeah. So the Trinity debate, I think I got in some ways I got some credit, uh, it, even though it was really the men who were entering the conversation, which I was fine to take a step back in a lot of ways because I'm not an academic, you know, like let the academics talk about this, um, you know, women and men, but it turned out to be mainly men. And, um, but there, I think that there was some fracturing happening there, right? Because these were really big names. John Piper, as you know, big name. Um, he was pretty silent on this issue. Um, but he is, you know, a founder of the Council for Biblical Manhood and Womanhood. Yeah. He's the co-editor of the, their book uh, with Wayne Grudem, who was the main teacher of Eternal Subordination. So, um, and Wayne Grudem, another big name, these, these are connected to big parachurch organizations and to seminaries and to all these yes. things. So, I mean, I think that that started a fracture with, you know, anything that I'm writing, um, because the women can't say these things. The women get blamed more than the men do. Um, mm -hmm. 
But anyway, I, I end up writing Recovering from Biblical Manhood and Womanhood. And what I really wanted to do there was to offer another way of looking at scripture, uh, another resource, I should say, um, aside from all this biblical manhood and womanhood framework, you know, there's, you don't have to put that on before you read scripture. Um, so, uh, when we look at the uses of the, the male voice and the woman's voice in scripture, what do we see and how, how does that make us think about discipleship? What is discipleship? What are our great um, honor and responsibilities as brothers and sisters in the church together? And so that's what I wanted to write about. But as I'm talking to my editor and uh, in, in planning this book, she's like, you know, you really have to address the direct, directly address the problem of what we're swimming in here. Um, biblical manhood and womanhood, you know, what is it and what's wrong about it? And why do we need to look at it this way? So um, it is a direct critique um, of the movement. And I think the title itself, I'm just trying to say, like, this is a movement. Just because you put the word biblical in front of it doesn't make yes. it so. It's not an I'm adjective. I'm so glad you said that. And, and, and it's a movement that started, you know, in the late 80s. Um, and, and there's some good things that have come out of it. But, you know, as with every movement, we have to look at it critically and we have to look back at scripture and what that church has been historically confessing all this time. So um, the book is focused on discipleship. You know, what we, our great honor and responsibility as men and women disciples. However, the book caused a lot of uh, outrage on some ends because I think people saw it as threatening to, oh, we, we might be giving women too much here. Like, Amy is on this trajectory to be a feminist and um, Amy wants to ordain women now or something like that, you yeah. know, like, and really the book's not, a, it wasn't looking at that question. You know, it was looking at our, our discipleship. Um, so I found that very revealing um, how threatening women having agency as disciples alongside their brothers um, is. Yes. But um, as soon as that book came out, one of the editors over where I blogged for the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals, which is what Mortification of Spin was under, um, sent, you know, posted this article uh, with nine questions proposed for me um, by this kind of anonymous group of concerned men. Uh, and An I, anonymous group? I met, well, it's like <laughs> these concerned people. Oh um, my gosh. And so I don't like, nobody's named and there's nine questions that I'm supposed to answer. Um, some of the questions are answered in the book already, you know, if you would read it. Um, some of them are about things that I'm not writing about, like um, ordination and um, marriage. It's not a book about marriage, you yeah, know, or yeah. they want me to answer the, you know, first Timothy two question and, and all these kinds of things. Um, and then some of the questions actually misrepresent my writing in, in what they're saying. And yeah, so, of course, the, you know what? They're just, they just want to, they want to question you or interrogate you before they burn you at the stake. Yes. So <laughs> I thought, how strange is this? Because I worked for them for seven years. And so I wow, thought, gosh, that, oh my gosh, why wouldn't they just interview me? If there's actual concerns, um, I would be happy to do an interview. Um, yeah. plus, you know, nothing I wrote in the book is, was against any of the confessions that that organization um, subscribe to. Um, so 
and that's the whole like point alliance of confessing evangelicals yeah. <laughs> the point of the ministry um so I did ask some people like uh, that I trusted um people who had had experience with this organization um people in my leaders in my denomination and I just said you know I'm, I'm being asked to answer these questions what do you think um and I and the very first question was very revealing. And I did answer the first one and it was about like natural theology and male authority. And I just thought that is so revealing. Like this whole thing yeah. is about male authority. Yeah. Um, so I answered that first one, but, um, after talking, um, and getting advice, you know, pretty much I was told it's not, it's why should you ever have to answer questions by an anonymous group of people? Like, yeah. You shouldn't have to do that. Yeah. Has anyone else ever had to do that in the organization? Right. right. Um, you know, if they want to post a critical review of the book, post a critical review of the book. But uh, this was kind of like, I felt like I was being, a gun was being pointed at my feet and saying, yes. dance, Amy, dance, you know? Yes. Yes. And, and so um, then I got an email from the board, the chairman of the board of the Alliance saying that, you know, you do need to answer these questions for us, for the board's eyes, and then we'll decide what to do. Um, and I thought, well, no, I don't. <laughs> like I, wow. you know, in a friendly way, said, I'd love for you to read my book, you know, said, uh, you know what I was advised to say. <laughs> and uh, then that's when they let me go. And it was the weirdest uh, email. It was, you know, kind of like how disappointed they are mm -hmm. that I couldn't do something so simple as answer those questions but that they will offer me grace during my exit. Unbelievable. Like, oh my gosh, stop it. <laughs> oh my word. You know what this is making me think of? It's like, we've got a sandbox and the yes. little boys are in their sandbox and they don't want to let the little girls come and play. So they're, it's yeah, so stupid. It was, I know. And before I got that email, I just thought, um, you know what? I have a feeling because time had gone by and, um, I had respectfully not been writing under my blog there, you know, there's tension, you know, they put a um, pause on recording for the podcast, which was a pretty popular podcast. Um, and they weren't quite saying to everybody why. And um, so I just thought, you know, I'm going to try to log in with my credentials to make a post just to see if I can even get in. And sure enough, I was, oh my, my credentials didn't work anymore before I even got the offering me grace to let me go email. So, so you had a blog, but it wasn't on, it wasn't like on something that you owned. They so had originally it. I had my own blog. And when I started doing the podcast, they asked if I'd come and join with them, take my work over with them and their organization. And yeah. <gasps> oh my gosh. You've got to be kidding me. So yeah. what, so you didn't, you couldn't get back in. So what did you, what, what about all of the things that you've, uh, that you had? So written? all my work, I asked them, you know, are you going to give me my work? <laughs> Cause you know, it's years of writing and right. oh yes, yes, you, you can have your work. It's your work. So I'm waiting, you know, I'm thinking, oh, they'll just send me a software or something to download it all. Yeah. I am very technologically a moron. Let's yeah. just say <laughs> <laughs> I need blogging for idiots, <laughs> but, um, Anyway, basically they end up telling me after I ask weeks later, I'm like, look, I would like to, are you, cause they said that they were going to make an announcement. They never did. 
um, I'm like, I would like to move on. Um, can I have my work? And when are you going to do this announcement? Cause they said they'd run it by me first. And then they just said, you know what? I don't, I don't think we need to do an announcement of your departure. And, um, basically they said that my work was so intertwined with all the other stuff that basically I had to cut and paste everything that I wanted to keep. What? So do they still have your work on their website? Is that even legal? I don't know. I guess. I bet you money. It's not legal. I bet you money. You could pursue that. They can't just keep your, they can't just keep your work. So I don't think they have it. Like if you go to their website now, I haven't in a very long time, but I don't think it's available to see that way. But when I do searches for an article of mine, it'll show up on my blog now and on their old blog. See, that's not right. I would look into that. Yeah. I would definitely look into that because that's not right. What they're doing. I don't think it's legal. There's a yeah, lot of it's questions also, I've had about a lot of that. It's <laughs> also bad for SEO. Like people, if they're searching, yeah, it's, it's, yeah, bad, it's for bad for SEO. So that's not, that's not, they're basically stealing your intellectual property. They have to give it back to you. If they're not going to let you share their blog with you, share that space, they have to give that back to you. That is wrong. Um, now I'm really mad. Yeah. So that's, that's the story of leaving there. And then I started amybird.com and took what I wanted, cut and paste. It was a long oh, labor. My word. You've got to be joking. And, um, that just makes me so mad. That's where I blog now. And I'm no longer part of the mortification of spin podcast. Okay. Well, that's why I don't listen to that anymore. All right. So <laughs> well, I want to br- bring up at the very beginning of your new book, which is called the sexual reformation. Mm-hmm. You said that, um, well, one of my favorite quotes at the very beginning is the woman's role boils down to puffing up the man. I just think that perfectly encapsulates mm-hmm. yeah. that whole, what they, what they think the women's role is. Mm-hmm. And, and now, and, and all of this that you just said is just evidence Yes. Evidence. If it wasn't true, this would not have played out the way it did. I know. As long as you know your lane, you do. Exactly. Exactly. And you don't want, you know, as women, we don't really want to know you. It's like deep down inside, we sort of feel that, but we don't really want to test the waters because we don't want to know that that's really, really. I know it can't be that way. Yeah, but it actually is. Um, so let's see, I wrote down something here. Um, you said something along the lines of the woman, they have this belief, mm-hmm. this belief that the woman, it, that her, the, the husband is supposed to rule over his wife while the mm-hmm. woman is always going to be trying to control and usurp him. So his yeah. job is to make sure that she does not <laughs> succeed. And they take their job as five-year-old boys very, very seriously. <laughs> So what does Jesus say though, about, you know, about ruling over people? Right. I mean, we learn in Matthew that, um, it's, he says that, and I'm, you know, totally paraphrasing here because I don't have it in front of me, but we're not like the world, you know, that's the way the world views power and authority. And that's not it that, you know, he's washing feet. The first should be last, like your authority is an authorization from God. And what is that to do? It's an authority given to you to love, to give of yourself. It's to give power to not to exercise power over. So, um, yeah, I, I really, you know, I think that 
you know, obviously we need order and government and, and all of these things. But um, I think that the way that we view authority has been very skewed and, and, and the church is just uh, mimicking the world. Yeah. When Jesus tells us it's not that way. Yep. Yep. And it's I think, not, you know, Jesus as a man and as the bridegroom shows us, I think that, you know, the first responsibility as man is to be the first to give the first to yeah. sacrifice and the first to love. Yes. Yes. Well, and we, all, it should be all as Christ followers, that should be all yeah. of our yes. motivation and drive yes. and push to want to do that. If we want to mm-hmm. be yes, like, it's Christ a reciprocal was. thing. Exactly. So it's not always just men though, who buy into this theology. A lot of, there's yeah, a lot of yeah. women and a lot of women leaders who are very, uh, they're mouthpieces for this. Mm-hmm. And um, I know you mentioned Rachel Yankovich, who mm. is the daughter of Doug Wilson, mm-hmm. who is a pastor. And um, anyway, she said, and I'm paraphrasing this. She said, rather than meeting to study the Bible together and taking notes in the margins of our Bibles, we should love the Bible so much that we are writing notes in the margins of our cookbooks. Yeah. Look <laughs> at that false dichotomy. <laughs> yes. So I just wanted to bring that up because so many of my listeners, we think that um, you may be thinking that it's just meant, it, don't, you have to be careful what voices that you're listening to. Because it's mm-hmm. not just men teaching this. Women have, we've all been, I mean, I used to be a voice, a mouthpiece for the, for that kind mm-hmm. of teaching too. Same with me. <laughs> so so um, we have to be, just be careful what we're listening to and, and mm-hmm. filter it. If I think if we put on a different set of glasses, we'll be able to see little things very differently. If you're a woman of faith in a confusing and painful marriage who feels like you're just a shadow of the woman you could be, I'd like to help you change that. Five years ago, I developed a comprehensive program that has helped hundreds of Christian women wake up to their reality and live powerfully within it as the adult women God created them to be. The Flying Free program uses transformational coaching, workshops, classes, and a close-knit community of women to support you on your journey. We will help you identify the problems and figure out what you can and can't do so that you can be empowered to move forward into the life you were meant to live. Imagine a deep dish apple pie with caramel, walnuts, and vanilla ice cream on top. Members have said that this podcast is like a little taste of the vanilla ice cream, but the Flying Free program is the whole delicious slice of pie in all its glory. You'll never know what you're missing until you can bite into the whole thing. You can get all the details, including reviews, facts, and everything that comes with the program by going to joinflyingfree.com. I'll see you on the inside. All right. Yeah. I want to kind of segue now into mo- talking about your brand new book, which is um, okay. the sexual reformation. Mm-hmm. What, why did you decide to write this book? I mean, it's kind of, it's a different book. I know you tie yeah. all of this stuff into it, but you're uh-huh. focusing on the song of songs I in am. the Bible mm-hmm. and tell us about why you're f- so fascinated by that book. And yeah. yeah. Um, you know, and, and that has personal story to it as well, because um, you know, what happened with, um, 
after writing Recovering, there was a, a group of um, officers in my own denomination who put together uh, this, this group, um, this private group on Facebook, uh, but it ended up being up to like 1,100 people on it. And a lot of them were church officers in um, my denomination, but in the PCA and the Baptist churches um, and on the, you know, non-denominational and not all of them were church officers, but um, a lot of the you know, main voices were. And um, it wasn't merely me they were targeting, but I became a major target for them for harassment. And so um, they were calling ahead of my speaking engagements and warning churches to guard their families and their churches from oh Jezebel who was coming and um, they were plotting to sabotage my Amazon page um, with bad reviews and, you know, not buy the book, um, just share one book between all of them. And um, they were coming after me on social media like crazy, uh, often using anonymous accounts and, and making, you know, changing the cover of my book to, you know, be vulgar and um, say different things. And um, I mean, just these were someone shared screenshots with me and these were coming in morning to night with hundreds of comments on oh these threads about, God. about me and other women, they were very misogynistic. Um, and, uh, even kind of owning that, you know, it, it had a lot of that red pill community language. I don't know if, if y'all are familiar with that, but that, that it's very misogynistic language. And, um, so what disturbed me and, uh, ways that I never could have predicted um, how it physiologically affected me was that you know, these aren't just jerks on the internet. These are leaders in our churches yeah. and uh, that we submit to. And so this was a uh, spiritual abuse. Yeah. And, and one of the worst part was someone in that group was an elder in my church. And so I had to confront this. Um, I went through two years of all I can say is hell and <laughs> trying to get help in my own denomination. Uh, um, my elders did see how wrong it was um, and, you know, want to do the right thing. But I think, you know, what you say that we're marinating in, um, it takes so long to see all of that. And so there was no training given to my elders or my pastor on how to handle this stuff. And they thought, you know, here's a good guy who made a mistake who, you know, I needed to confront one-on-one -on -one Matthew 18 style at first. And then from there, you know, just, it was awful. And, um, so anyway, all that to say that, um, I was going through trauma and, um, in that trauma, I found the song of songs to minister to me in deep ways. Um, you know, the, the, the church fathers called the song of songs, the holy of holies of scripture. And, and by that, what they meant is if you in all of scripture, if you want to go to the place where you can experience the most intimate presence with Christ now in his word, go to the song of songs. Mm -hmm. And so in it, I found words to pray because here is, here is the great allegory of Christ's love for his bride. And he gives us the words like there's the words of the groom to us. And, and here she, this woman, and here we have in a patriarchal document, really, like, you know, it's androcentric, um, you know, male dominated voice in scripture, 
we have this book in the middle of scripture where the woman's voice is dominant. It bookends the song. It's over 60% of um, the song. And she is immodest. You know, she expresses her frustrations, her insecurities, her deep questions, um, the absence of God, you know, where are you right now? Um, and, and she's seeking him though, right? And, and then we get these words to her over and over. He calls her beautiful. And she says, dove, you know, um, which just symbolizes he, his spirit is in her. Um, so in the Song of Songs, I found that all this time, I, you know, and I still do, I so care about doctrine. You know, I care about our confessions of the faith. Um, I want to get that right. But um, sometimes you feel like you're crossing all your T's and dotting all your I's and you, you miss the beauty. You miss the imagination that we're supposed to have of where we're headed. You miss the actual eroticism <laughs> in Christ's love for his bride. And um, you lose your curiosity. And I think you lose Christ in that way. Um, you can have all these propositional statements, but they cannot teach you about love. And um, the song does. And so what I wanted to do is to recover a historical reading of the Song of Songs, a traditional reading of it, um, but also, you know, love in Christ's church. And, and, and what we find in that too, and, and this is kind of my, my subtitle, is, is it restores the dignity of both manhood and womanhood. Um, because here we see enfleshed man and woman um, showing us a typology, like pictures of where we're headed and what we're to become. And, and so it's not about uh, whether you're complementarian or egalitarian, like those, you're they have their importance to them, right? But I'm trying to be challenging in both ways to say that it's not just about what we can do and not do, but it's about who we are. There is a, a theology in our bodies. Our bodies tell a story of the spousal unitive love of Christ. And we get to participate in the father's great love for the son through his spirit. And that's where the beauty is. So that's, that's what yes. brought me to the song of songs. That is a gr that is a great story. I'm so glad you shared it too, because so many of the women that I talk to that listen to this podcast, even the Bible has been used as a weapon to control yeah. them and to beat mm -hmm. them down and to that. Some of them are actually afraid of the Bible. Now, these are women who mm. formerly, you know, fed off of the Bible on a yeah, regular basis. Right. It's heartbreaking. Yeah. So if you're listening and that's you, Mm -hmm. just know that this, this particular book of the Bible could be very, very healing for you. And even going through yes. Amy's book, she uncovers, and I love her and her, she's so enthusiastic in her book. <laughs> she uncovers all kinds of, you know, I mean, the, the Bible's got layers and layers and layers and layers of things. I don't so think exciting. that we're ever going to be able to uncover. It's a living, yeah. breathing thing. Yes. And so she is, she digs in, she finds some of those golden gems and then she shares them and they're just, they just kind of blow your brain. So they do, don't they? Yeah. So, um, if you need that, this is a good book for it. Can you tell us how, 
this, this book of the Bible, the song of songs helps to minister to people like the women who are listening to this podcast, who are hurting because of either abuse in their marriages or abuse in their family of origin or abuse in the church. Mm -hmm. So many ways. And I'm just beginning to, you know, watch it unfold in the song myself. And, And I'm still spending so much time in there myself. But um, the one thing I was telling you, just even looking at the voices in the song and how they're used, it's so different from what we see in the church today. Um, Twice the bridegroom says, let me hear your voice. He's beckoning her, you know? And and I think if you want to talk about what biblical woman or manhood does, it says, let me hear your voice. Yes. It's evangelical. He's drawing her out. And so... That's the last thing he says to her. And what does she do? She responds by calling him to the spice laden mountains that her very body represents. So it's kind of like a Maranatha come Jesus call, but it's also this um, evangelical call. Um, You know, what you were saying about the gems. So here we have like the Bible begins with a wedding. It ends with a wedding. The prophets, they talk about Yahweh's love for Israel in terms of covenant marriage and, uh, you know, and and adultery. Um, And then Jesus' first uh, miracle was at a wedding. (laughs) And then we have Paul saying, like, this is the the mystery, right? That marriage is, is trying to give us a picture of is the spousal love of Christ, and, and so in the middle of our Bibles, we have the Song of Songs, which tells us, it's like, it's like the espresso shot of scripture. It tells <laughs> us the whole story in, in, yeah. this, in this poetic language. Um, and so you can't just take the Song of Songs out and read it like by itself. Um, and that's where the, the gems are. There's all these kind of intertextual echoes with the rest of the canon of scripture. So you really... You know, you can when you read the song, um, reading it canonically, you find all these little treasures of echoes in other parts of scripture that blow your mind. Um, and so I, I try to show a little bit of that in there. And so I, you know, the way that I did the chapters in the book is that, um, you know, I wanted to introduce the, the song and and why it's so important and you know, shared some of that with you guys now um, and how it shows how our bodies speak. like. Um, male and female isn't, you know, we, we don't want to take the language of the world either and be like, well, it doesn't matter. We're all equal, you know, and all, but there's meaningfulness behind being a woman and there's meaningfulness behind being a man and it's beautiful. And what is that? And so I think the song really shows us that. Um, and then also just uh, the way that we use our voices and in the church, especially um, looking at sexuality as gift. Um, I think that's huge. It just totally changes the way we view one another. Um, And I kind of build on Pope John Paul II's work there. He's done some really good work. And so I think that there are some good, you know, Roman Catholics who've written on the the topic of sexuality. Um, I did a a chapter that I thought was a lot of fun called uh, Sometimes the Last Man Standing is a Woman. Yeah, yeah, I love that. (laughs) And, you know, that is what we see at the end of scripture, the bride. Uh, coming down out of heaven from God. And so like, there's our corporate identity. This is what um, we get it in the story of creation as well. Um, Adam has to sacrifice for the creation of woman and she's created second. 
um, you know, I, I grew up hearing that she's created second because she was less, you know, because yeah. she needed to subordinate herself to man. That's not what's unfolding in that story. The second fills out the first in creation. We see that over and over. Um, the sun and the moon fill out the sky, right? And the waters and the land fill out the earth. Um, and so what story do we see? We see man having to be put down. We see a picture of the church flowing from Christ's side in the creation of woman. When he beholds woman, he beholds where he is headed, where we are all headed um, as the bride of Christ. Um, she is beckoning him in that way um, that we are all headed for communion with the triune God and one another for eternity. And these are just beautiful things. And so I think this is what heals us, you know, is, is this is, you need anybody who's been through trauma, I think knows the importance of beauty in, in recovery. And I mean, there's nothing more beautiful than these truths. There's nothing more beautiful than Christ's love for us. And I, even in the song, um, you see abuse twice. The woman is neglected. She is beaten <laughs> and stripped by the gatekeepers. So, um, man, I could really identify with that. She names it, but she keeps her eyes on the one who is notable among 10,000. Mm -hmm. And um, there are echoes and revelation of, of what she, how she's describing Christ there. So um, I just think, you know, that's John in Revelation telling us, she's talking about Jesus. <laughs> uh, yeah. Keep your eyes on him. Um, and so I just think, yeah, you can really identify so much. And, and this Old Testament scripture also tells the whole story of Israel in it, you know? So it's just, it's the story of Israel. It's the story of the church. It's the story of the individual soul of each believer. I mean, it's just truly amazing. Yeah, it is. I'm excited to actually go. I just finished listening to the, to your book on audible, but I'm excited to actually go in now and read that book for myself, you know, cause oh, it's, it's yeah. one thing to read someone else's uh -huh. take on it, but then to mm -hmm. read it for myself with that, new, with that, with that new pair of glasses that I'm going to, right. Right. Yeah. So have you been able to, like, how have you recovered from the abuse that you've experienced? I'm still recovering. <laughs> I don't know what the time limit is on those things. Um, yeah, I mean, I, you have to be active about that sort of thing. And I think my writing has helped me a lot. Yeah. Um, and I'm, I'm actually writing meditations now uh, going through the Song of Songs. And, you know, that has ministered to me a lot too. But um, I just think it's so important to create uh, beauty in our relationships too. And, and so um, seeking good, healthy friendships, you know, being there to be able to help other people has been yeah. very helpful. Um, but, you know, and I'm sure you very much know this, this affects your children, you know, it affects in ways that don't surface right away, you know, so therapy, um, yeah. you know, a lot of different things. Um, and thankfully, I'm, I'm married to an amazing man. Um, so we've been through this together. Um, we've left our denomination. We left the OPC. There was a lot of good things in there, but uh, it was definitely, I wrote about that. I think documenting the public parts, I, you know, the private stuff, I've kept private, but the public stuff that has happened at Presbytery meetings and published stuff. And um, I followed my whole case and, and documented it. So um, I think having that agency where I had none in the church itself, you know, yeah, you're yeah. not, you, you're not 
in the rooms where you're being talked about, you don't get a voice at these meetings. You don't get a voice hardly at, in trials and, and all the decisions made about how it's going to be addressed. Right. So, yeah, I, I have an analogy that I will sometimes tell people it's like, um, it's like your church or your denomination or whatever was like a sandbox. I like to think of <laughs> you got sandbox a sandbox. Yeah. <laughs> it's like a sandbox that you were playing in for a long time. And there were certain rules in the sandbox. And, and you think that if you get kicked out of the sandbox, that that's it. Now yeah. you're out of the game. You're out of, you know, you, you have no friends, but once you get kicked out, you look around you and you realize, oh my word, I'm in the middle of a fantasy park. Like there's a million other sandboxes. There's a jungle gyms, there's bike paths. There's, you know, it's like, there's right. a lake I can go swimming in. Mm -hmm. There's a million other things to explore the sandbox. And this was the smallest sandbox in the water park. <laughs> what in the world was I thinking? Yeah, that is a really good picture actually. Um, and that's what I'm kind of doing. I'm, I'm looking to both sides and seeing who I'm shouldering with and um, serving with. And my family's worshiping, we're worshiping in a really small church right now. Um, and we're just trying to heal there right yeah. now as we figure out next steps for all of that. Yeah. Well, good. It's been great to connect with you. I've always wanted to talk with you and it just hasn't happened yet, but today was the day. Thanks for inviting me. Yeah. And thank you so much for sharing. Um, I know your story is personal and it's painful and, um, but the people listening, they're all, there's so much, I, there's so much compassion. I'm sure mm -hmm. that's going to be oozing from them towards you. Mm -hmm. And so if they wanted to, they can get your books on Amazon, mm -hmm. correct? Yes. And, um, did they ever do any of those blitzes like those Amazon blitzes where they just, uh, write terrible reviews and did that ever <laughs> so happen? Um, with recovering that they, they started to put some bad reviews on there, but I, they got overwhelmed with good reviews, but then what happened, and this is really sad. What happened when sexual reformation came out? Um, so, you know, your publisher sends out review copies to a bunch of people hoping for honest reviews on Amazon. And I started hearing back from some people saying that they tried to post a review on Amazon and they showed me the message they got. And it was like alert and all red saying that, um, you know, there, they've, there's been some trouble with the accounts, like only verified purchases can leave reviews now because basically people were trying to okay. troll with bad reviews and they caught it. Okay. Well, thank goodness. But now Amazon I have so many it. less reviews, which okay. is kind of sad. Well, I need to go put my review over there. So if you're listening, <laughs> go get her book, support Amy, go get her book and you will love the book. And then you can leave a very honest and authentic review as a verified <laughs> purchaser of her book. <clears throat> the book is called, um, it's called the sexual reformation and yeah, I will put a link in the show notes and also they can find you on Twitter. I'll put a link yes. to that and Thanks. in Facebook is mm -hmm. Facebook, your other main place. And then you've yeah. got a blog, Amy Bird. Yeah, my blog. And it's B Y R D. I know yeah. I, 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 I made a comment on something that, that had you in it and I, I spelled your name B I R D. Sorry about that. YouTube podcasting with Mike Bird, who's an Australian theologian and author. Oh, and he's, he's B I R D. And so we call it birds of a feather. 
But, oh my gosh, that is so awesome. I yeah. love that. <laughs> I love that. So so you are staying busy and you're still like getting oh, your yeah. voice out there. And mm-hmm. that's awesome. You have to keep doing that because that's what you're called to do. Thank you. That's who you are. <laughs> All right. Thanks so much, Amy. And yes, the rest of you. you. Yeah. Um, and for those of you guys who are listening, if you enjoyed this podcast, would you consider leaving a rating and review on Apple iTunes? It just helps people find this, po- other people who are just like you find this podcast. And um, that's it for today. Thank you so much for listening. And until next time, fly free.